Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Anshad.net. Episode 52 Have Specialised Qualifications for Infant Teachers. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you'll know that I did my teaching qualification in the United Kingdom and I qualified with a PGCE, um, Postgraduate Certificate in Education. However, my PGCE was different from some of my colleagues that got the same qualification at the end of it. My qualification was with a specialisation in upper primary and theirs was with a specialisation in early years. This means that I did all of my teaching practice with the equivalent of, let's say, second class upwards, and many of my colleagues did the equivalent of first class downwards. And while all of us, all of us, came back to Ireland qualified to teach in any primary school classroom, it actually made huge sense to have two separate specialities for upper and lower primary years. I mean, the difference between teaching a four-year-old and a 12-year-old, as most of you know, is vast. And in this episode, I'll be arguing that if I were the Minister for Education, I'd have specialised qualifications for infant teachers. Hello, hello, you're very welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education. This is Simon Lewis. So there you have it. Um, I, I suppose I've, I guess uh, I've, uh, I've uh, sort of unfortunately just outed every single primary school teacher that qualified in the UK as not being trained at every level of the primary school curriculum in Ireland. You can probably now expect the teaching council to add yet another barrier to those no goodniks with their foreign qualifications before they decide to grace our already homogenous profession. Now, I know I go on about this a lot, but the barriers that anyone born outside of Ireland has to go through before being recognised as a primary school teacher is just shocking. So there I am adding another layer to it. I mean, for example, you you probably know that if you have a teaching qualification from anywhere outside of Ireland, that you must complete special exams. Osquelga, the Irish exams, the SCG, as uh, as I would have done or whatever it's called these days. Um, Luckily for anyone coming to teach in Ireland, it's, you know, I mean, obviously it, it is easy to immerse oneself in the Irish language. So, you know, rather than, you know, actually having to spend thousands on private tutors, all one has to do is walk around talking to anybody at all on the streets because we all speak Irish, don't we? Anyway, hmm. anyway, in any case, I don't want to overlap on my recent episode where I actually try and rescue the Irish language from the depths of where it's actually at. And while we, while we do teach Irish in primary schools, obviously we need teachers that can speak the language. Um, you know, that makes obviously makes sense. How can you teach Irish if you don't speak Irish? However, you may not know there's other barriers. Um, because if you decided, you know, to go off to foreign lands to qualify abroad, if you want to teach in one of the very, very few Catholic schools in Ireland and insert, uh, you know, um, sarcastic emoji. I wonder if there is a sarcastic emoji. I don't know. But if in one of the very few Catholic schools in Ireland, now just remember, I mean, of course, only 90% of Irish primary schools are under the control of the Catholic Church. You'll also need a special qualification in religious education. And when I say religious education, I mean Catholic religious education. And this qualification will set you back over €1,000 and it teaches you how to teach in a Catholic school. And if you don't have this qualification, you can pretty much forget about getting a job in a Catholic school, which restricts you now to roughly 10% of schools in Ireland. 
Um, just as an aside, I, I actually managed to avoid doing that qualification and still get a job in a Catholic school back in the olden days. But once I came out as not being Catholic, I was strongly encouraged to do it. And to be fair, um, I feel anyway, I was a brilliant fake Catholic teacher. So much so that in my second year of the school, I was given the communion class, um, which uh, which in that particular school was perceived to be an honour. Um, and uh, I, the type of school I was in was you, you, you didn't get a choice of what class you were given. You were actually brought into a room and you were given um, an envelope. <laughs> kind of like the Oscars uh, where you were told what class you were going to teach um, you weren't given a choice um, anyways uh, suffice to say um, when I did come out as not being Catholic uh, you know after in the middle of teaching um, second class I think I've told the story before on this podcast um, you know you can you can basically uh, I, I suppose you can uh, pretty much guess that I wasn't teaching second class uh, the year after that anyway who would have really thought that the Irish language and the Catholic Church would be barriers to diversity in the Irish primary classroom? Ha 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 However, let's talk about this week's topic, which is having a specialised qualification for infant levels. It seems to me like a bit of a no-brainer. I mean, you know, add a module to teacher training which qualifies you as either an upper primary year specialist or an early years educator. Wait. Early years educator. Why, why does that sound somewhat familiar? Well, while we at primary level have been lording it up with our primary school qualifications, the early years sector, sector have caught up basically in terms of qualifications. You know, when I was a boy, anyone, uh, God, I sound old, when I was a boy, when I was a lad, anyone could open up an early year setting. It wasn't called an early year setting, but anyone could open up an earlier setting. In fact, my mum did just that. Um, she and her friend set up a preschool in, 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 um, in their house. Uh, it wasn't our house, it was the other woman's house. And they ran it uh, for quite some time. And now, I, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I mean, I was very young, so I'm not sure <laughs> what, the, what the story was. I'm, I'm pretty sure there were standards, but uh, as I said, I was too young to think about these things and I was much more interested, um, you know, in kicking a football outside the house where this preschool was um, and I, I was uh, and at the same time hoping it wouldn't land in Mr. Megan's garden because he used to shout at us every time the ball landed in there. Anyway, the only thing I know about that preschool was that my mum wasn't qualified as a childcare worker and actually nor did she have any kind of qualification at all because she left school when she was 12. Um, anyway, by, by the time I was thinking about college, uh, fast forwarding a number of years, there were lots of, um, I suppose, I think they were known as FETAC courses. Um, I, I think that's what they were known as in childcare. And I think you could get certificates and diplomas in uh, in uh, childcare. Uh, I'm, I know my sister uh, started one of those all right. Um, now, my mum died in the middle of that year, so I'm not quite sure if my sister completed the, the course. And, you know, I, I kind of never thought to ask her. Um, anyway, that's not the point. Uh, the point being that 20 years ago, early childhood, early childhood education could get you a diploma anyway, at best. But since then, 
Early childhood education is a full degree program and goes on to postgrad level, master's level and so on, uh, with most childcare practitioners these days having pretty much the same level of qualification as primary school teachers, a degree at least. And if we're completely honest, the differences really are that preschool workers work under the remit of the Department of Children and teachers are under the remit of the Department of Education. Uh, preschools are generally privately owned businesses and primary schools are privately owned but publicly funded institutions. And of course, yes, there's the disparity in pay. As usual, people working in preschools are paid much, much less, often minimum wage, than primary school teachers. And the difference in what is expected from a preschool and an infant classroom in terms of work, when both are pretty much doing their jobs correctly, is fairly minimal. <clears throat> both, um, both of us are supposed to follow the Astor framework. And, you know, now... You know, I mean, I guess some would right, rightly argue that an infant classroom has one adult for an average of 25 pupils, where a preschool has far lower ratio. So they're not wrong. Um, uh, but, but that's not really the point. I mean, it seems very weird to me that a three-year-old child and a four-year-old child have people with equal qualifications working with them, but their conditions are almost alien from each other. I mean, think about special educational needs, for example. A child in a preschool can receive one-to-one -one support for their entire time and it is applied on, and it's applied for uh, on a case-by-case -case basis. This is in a preschool. Um, once they hit primary school, they lose every single support they ever had. And, you know, I mean, I suppose, <laughs> I can't get through an episode without doing this, but don't get me started on the systems in place for assigning a child with additional needs with support. So, you know, at this time of recording, it's genuinely non-existent to, to be able to get a new child from a preschool to a primary school to get them support in any way. In, in fact, you physically cannot now, right now, apply for supports because the NCSE are in the middle of their latest scheme to completely ruin children with additional uh, needs lives with their front-loading model, which is designed not to make things better for children, but to make things easier for a computer to basically say no. However, I have to stop giving out about the NCSE, but I can't. I mean, it, it, but I mean, it's just one difference. And I suppose I need to focus on this infant level kind of thing. However, on the other side of things, the paperwork and hygiene standards expected for preschool would probably make a primary school principal's head melt. However, I don't think it should be this way. And I think I've spoken on this show before that we need to make early years education a fully public service. The current setup, I feel, is, is, is ridiculous. I mean, ultimately what we need to do is we need to amalgamate the early childhood education degree with an early years primary degree, make them the same degree. And then anyone working with children from the age of zero to six will be qualified to work with these children, either pre-primary level or prim early primary level, and they'd get paid for it properly, have reasonable class sizes, good supports for additional needs, and so on and so forth. I'm not saying it would be a utopian sort of situation, um, but it would all fall under the remit of the Department of Education. So, I mean, even saying that sentence, you know, it's going to be full of massive problems. But think along the lines, you know, I suppose if we could if we kind of think of, you know, things that would work. I mean, think along the lines of religious control of schools, um, you know, um, that would be one problem. Uh, the fact that we've no proper schools meals program really in primary level. And yes, of course, the NCSE becoming in charge of additional needs. These are massive problems that would have to be tackled if we ma amalgamated early years um, as it is and early years primary level as it is. 
However, we would have a properly defined education system from the age of 0 to 18 with a more updated structure. I mean, let's let's have a look at how it would work. Now, I mean, basically what I'm going to do now is I'm going to be repeating pretty much a lot of what I said in an earlier episode around infant education and what we should do about it. I think the episode was called Scrap Infants. So, I mean, you know, if you're getting a sense of deja vu here, you know, that's, that's why I've, I've, I've made an episode very similar, I suppose, to what would look what, what it would look like. Um, so here's my proposed structure. If we just had specialised infant teachers, for example. OK, you've got a preschool from zero to six instead of what it is now, which is zero to four or zero to five. Um, primary would be about six, six-ish, seven to about 12 or 13. Second level would be about 13 to 18. So you have three stages of schooling, um, you know, before, before third level. Preschool, primary and second level. No difference really between the two, except just for a minor change in ages. Um, obviously, this would have major implications for the primary education system, reducing it from an eight-year programme to a six-year programme, which would mean a 25% <clears throat> decrease in the need of primary school teachers, which might not sound very happy news to primary school teachers, uh, but that's not really where I'm going with this. I'm not looking to cut things. But, you know, what it, what it would actually do is, it would, I, I, I would argue, it would give the opposite um, thing, which is, a, which is an opportunity here. Um, in fact, the main argument I have here is that it would take the entire early year sector and put it under the umbrella of the Department of Education, and I'd amalgamate all preschools with infant classes and create infant schools or early years schooling. And there's easily easy ways of, uh, of doing that. You've got lots of schools at the moment that just don't need to exist, particularly, you know, single sex schools. One of them becomes an infant school, one of them becomes a primary school, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and every single one of the people working in these early year schools would be trained as and paid as teachers uh, specialising in early education. So this is where we have our, our kind of our two degrees. Early education, which qualifies you to teach and work in schools where children would be aged zero to six or zero to seven, and upper primary, where education, you, where you'd be qualified aged, you know, six, seven to 13. An earlier setting will be taken out of these converted houses and estates and be placed on school campuses or built near their prospective primary schools, really. Um, and, and so ultimately, children from birth will be getting looked after and educated by people who will be well paid and well qualified as they are now. And infants would simply be a continuation of preschool with the Astra framework basically built into it. And once they finished their early year setting, they would move to big school in inverted commas in the equivalent of what's now first class. So, I mean, it's, it doesn't, it's no coincidence, I think, that first class in primary school is called first class. It should be their first class, possibly. However, the further beauty of this model is that all children entering first class would be the same age. Right now, we have like huge age discrepancies because you can start uh, primary school at any age between four and six. So you have some children who are full year and a half older than their peers in the same classroom. And the difference is quite, you know, you can see it very easily and uh, more so now with, uh, with, with things. But in this model, you would start your preschool at your age appropriate level and therefore rather than the first year of it. Um, so if you're, you know, I don't know, three starting off you would go into the cl school classroom or the, the the room with the other three-year-olds and you would start school on the year of your seventh birthday and this would have great advantages as i said because um the age range between children in the same classes would be much smaller and or, and again while i realize age isn't the only criterion for success at school in the majority of cases it really is 
It also gives opportunities for any learning needs to be caught during preschool and appropriate interventions being ready when the child starts primary school around the age of seven. So again, you put in your structures for additional needs in the preschool so that they follow through into primary school. And by this stage, any child with a reasonably ob obvious learning need or additional need would be identified because again, you have lots of children coming to junior infants and yeah, you, you know, it, it could be that they're just a little bit young or, you know, they might grow out of whatever's going on uh, or so on. By the age of seven, you know, if there's an additional need, it's pretty much recognized. And there would, of course, as I said, I'm talking very utopian here, but it would, of course, be, you know, there'd be pragmatic problems with this proposal. And as I said, I went through many of those in the previous episodes. Um, so, I mean, listen back to scrap infants. I mean, I did give suggestions for solving them, too, and I don't want to overlap too much. So, you know, maybe uh, if you're interested in this topic a little bit further, scrap infants is the episode to look at. And looky, look, I mean, let's let's look at things again. You know, ultimately, we're an, already an outlier in terms of early education in the world. And um, most primary schools don't start school until a child reaches the age of six or seven anyway. And it's only former British controlled companies <laughs> or countries, sorry, not companies, gosh, um, I'm turning into a, a capitalist version of myself or something. Um, it's only former British controlled countries that seem to want primary level to start very young. And I've no idea why that is. And given that we're proud Europeans these days who want to shift away from our British ancestry, uh, it makes sense to shift to a model where primary school starts around the same time as our European neighbours. It would also solve the issue of how poorly compensated preschool workers are paid and it would give them proper governance structure, a much better uh, governance structure, all things being equal. Look, in theory, this seems like a total no-brainer to me. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I mean, you know, there, there are obviously a lot of variables to consider. And I've gone through quite a lot of those variables. You know, however, and I, I mean, I usually don't end my episode so early. I, I don't see much else to be said on this topic. You know, there, the NCCA are already looking at the primary school curriculum and or the primary school structure and looking at like dividing into different sections and really they need to extend this out back to preschool and you know look preschools now have the qualifications that are equal to primary school teachers um it's just the structures involved uh, who they're answerable to whether it's public department of children department of education whoever it is surely you know we even have a curriculum that stretches from uh, between the two um and Surely it makes sense to 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 amalgamate them into um, into one model and therefore you've got and then we can actually have first class being the first class of primary school. So I don't know. I mean, I'm looking through all the, um, you know, all these pros. I mean, I'd be interested in people's thoughts on this, obviously. So please feel free to uh, start a conversation around this. But, you know, if I were the Minister for Education, I think I would definitely have specialised qualifications for infant teachers. And then I would have a proper early education sector to follow. So there we have it. Uh, a fairly, um, I suppose, short episode, really. I mean, it, it, you know, sometimes I, I take controversial issues. Um, and maybe this is controversial in some way, but I don't think it's very controversial. I, I touched on, you know, a number of problems, you know, that we have at primary level. But by combining pre the, all the good things about preschools and all the good things about primary schools and maybe, you know, the things that actually uh, could be conf it could be a conflict, um, you know, such as special educational needs and um, 
and religion in schools uh, and even uh, potentially the Irish language. I don't know. Like, I mean, just just barriers that we have at primary level that could be questioned simply by this amalgamation um, might be worth considering. I mean, there will be controversy. I mean, definitely will be controversy. Uh, but I, I would see this um, as really healthy uh, and really a, a kind of a good evolution for um, education in Ireland in general. Um, anyway, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to tune in every Friday evening uh, as I tackle another issue every week. Um, this podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, um, just by searching for If I Were the Minister for Education or even on Shaw.net. Um, I'd really appreciate you subscribing to the podcast uh, so you'll get each new episode a little earlier than everybody else. And... Um, if you uh, like the um, the podcast, I'd really appreciate any reviews you might be able to give it uh, so other people can find it more easily. And um, that's it for me for this week. A uh, short episode, as I said, uh, this week. Um, thanks for listening and we'll catch you again next time. All the best. Bye bye.